Today's episode of Raptors Reasonbliss is presented by the Salvation Army. Your donations can help those affected by COVID-19 find help and hope. To give, ask your smart speaker to make a donation to the Salvation Army or make your gift at SalvationArmy.ca. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, he's already ticked me off. Uh, he was chuckling as we started recording because I had to tell him to shut up. Eric Kareen, what's up, man? Uh, living the life, man. Just uh, glad to wake up on the right side of the dirt once again. How are you? I'm uh, I'm fine. I'm a little surprised <laughs> that with how little we're seeing and interacting with each other lately, you're still, still right on my nerves, Eric. Uh, it's a, it's you know, some, some things make you feel alive, Blake, and uh, this is one of them, I guess, for me. Yeah, all right. Well, we uh, somehow still have Raptors things to talk about. I don't know. I don't know how, but we're doing it. There's still <laughs> um, the I think the biggest thing on everyone's uh, mind or at least lips the last couple days it has not been directly Raptors related. It has instead been Chicago Bulls related. ESPN aired the first two episodes of The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary. Uh, on Sunday night, they hit Canadian Netflix Monday morning. Not a lot of Raptors adjacency in there, but Eric, I'll get your take on the, the first episode. I know you are a big MJ fan dating back to your childhood in the, the 70s and 80s. Um, and then you don't have forget the, some... Don't forget the 60s. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah, you, you saw the league transition from... You know, Wilt to Michael Jordan. Um, what are you like? Three months older than me, or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> June '85, so not much. Okay, like a year. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know that you're a big MJ fan, but I also know that you have some reservations about the uh, at least the first episode. And we won't get into specifics in case anyone hasn't checked it out yet. And because there are eight more episodes still to come, uh, I will be giving you somewhere a full breakdown of the Dennis Rodman episode, assuming that they get into his time as a member of the NWO and WCW and the match he had against Carl Malone. Uh, anyway, that's uh, a future episode. Eric, what, what's your initial take on The Last Dance here? Yeah, um, I mean, I do currently have a Michael Jordan, uh, sorry, a Chicago Bulls garbage can in my room. That was a, a big purchase for me when I was like eight years old. Uh, and when the Raptors came into being, uh, I remember thinking, how am I not going to root for the Bulls anymore? Uh, like that's not, I mean, I was eight, so, I, or I was 10 when the Raptors existed, but sort of like eight at my peak Jordan fandom. So, as so you were as the only Ra- moderately angsty at this point. Yeah, yeah. No, my, my real angst didn't hit until I was 11. Um, but uh, Jordan retired for the first time, so that sort of helped me get uh, open open my eyes to the Raptors maybe but I was definitely into Jordan and, and he was the first player I really loved uh, I mean I'm glad the the uh, documentary exists the, the footage especially from that 97-98 season uh, where we get to see you know Jordan sort of talking with his teammates and uh, talking to different people around the scene is cool uh, it's not having Jerry Krause, the Bulls' general manager, to, to speak for himself or somebody to speak for him more passionately than Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, like seems it's a bit problematic, I would say, in terms of presenting a full picture. Sometimes Krause feels a bit picked on, uh, and it doesn't seem like he was too popular, but 
uh, I think the bigger point from that is that it mostly so far, other than Jordan sort of calling Krause fat in those 97, 98 sort of snippets we get, like it seems like a document to Jordan's living sainthood. And I'm sure we'll get into his competitiveness, which will, which does rub both ways, kind of, it, you know, it, it explains his greatness, but also doesn't make him look that great in, in certain aspects of his life. Um, so, so far, it just seems like mostly a monument to <clears throat> to Jordan, and I'm sure that's what most of it will be, because guess what? Jordan, in my mind, is the best basketball player ever, certainly one of the best three ever, no matter who you're asking, uh, and... Most of the story is uh, is going to be about how great he is, but I feel a bit queasy about some of the moral questions in terms of, you know, speaking about the dead and, and the, you know, the natural reality that there is a very legitimate other side to the story that's not quite being told properly. For example, the Scottie Pippen episode focuses heavily on how he felt he was underpaid and wanted a contract renegotiation, but the Bulls cap situation at the time would not have allowed for that anyway. So, pretty important detail. Yeah, that like it would that's, have been in violation of the collective bargaining yeah, agreement. Yeah, I I haven't seen the second episode, but where's like David Stern talking about that? You know, yeah. like does does he talk about it? I I, I mean that wouldn't. Be Let, a let's get Bobby Marks in the in there to break down the <laughs> Danny Larue to. Uh, to break that down, Jeff Siegel actually did a piece at Early Bird Rights, kind of explaining the actual scenario. I'm here talking about it mostly jokingly. Um, I think my my biggest hope is that like I hope that people don't come out of this um, thinking there's a causal direction between Michael Jordan's personality and his success. Like I think I think obviously in his specific case, his personality drove a lot of success and that hyper competitiveness. But I don't think that like being a good teammate and being immensely successful are mutually exclusive. And I feel like that this might paint it that way. Well, I uh, think, I think LeBron James, not that he's the world's best teammate on certain teams, we've seen how yeah. he can have pretty negative effects, but like, I think in terms of his style of play and when he is fully locked in, he's, yes, he's competitive, but also teammates love him and really appreciate what he does out there. And, and his style of leadership. So, and, you know, you can criticize LeBron for not having as many championships as Jordan, but again, he's one of the three to five best players of all time too. And it shows and you, it shows you that very different personality types, um, like LeBron is definitely, to me, comes across as more easygoing and more lighthearted definitely at times than Jordan and, and he's still been able to make it work. So it's not, you know, either Jordan or Kobe uh, or nothing like there, there are middle grounds available to the greatest players. I'll just say this clutch would have gotten Scottie Pippen taken care of. <laughs> Um, okay, two quick Raptors adjacencies from The Last Dance. Obviously, there won't be a ton of Raptors in there. The first is that Tracy McGrady said the other day that, um, and who knows how accurate this is, uh, Tracy McGrady's memory could be fuzzy or, you know, we might not be getting all the details here, but he made mention that at one point he was kicked around as a trade chip that would in a framework that would have seen Scottie Pippen become a Raptor. Which is pretty interesting because Pippen at this point had a couple good seasons left in him and pairing him with a young Vince Carter on a team that already had Doug Christie would have been uh, pretty tasty defensively um, and I just think, in general. 
I think at that point, Isaiah still would have been GM. Um, and it's hard, maybe after Isaiah left, it could be something you could see happening. Like Glenn Grunwald went veteran pretty quickly, but Isaiah loved T-Mac. So I, I'm not, I, I don't know. I'm not here yeah. to refute it, but it doesn't really track in terms of what, of, of what Isaiah was trying to build. The other thing that I could see coming up with the Raptors, and I, and this is probably the only point I could imagine the Raptors coming up in the documentary directly um, they're already starting to hint at how the 97-98 Bulls started slowly. Big, like, first year of the LeBron Heat vibes. They start the season 12-9, and 9, and there's some concern, and Pippen's sitting out and all that stuff. Uh, they, in December of 97, they shit-kick the Raptors, and it kind of turns the season around. And they, they win, like, 8 straight and 14 of the next 16 and 18 of the next whatever. Um, basically, they go insane after they, they're the Raptors are the slump buster there. Um, it's well, con- a, congratulations, congratulations, Bulls for beating what would be a 16 win team by a lot. Yeah, uh, I'm they're, glad you. I'm glad you guys needed that for your morale. Yeah, uh, the the Bulls went on a 30 and six run after that. The Raptors at the time were two and 19. That loss dropped them to two and 20. Uh, game high, 14 points for John, John Wallace in that Syracuse university's own. Yeah. Uh, Leo must've had a kick out of that game. Yeah, no, I was, I was big. I was, I was into John Wallace as, as I've, as I've talked about growing up as a Syracuse fan. Um, shaky game for T-Mac off the bench. Maybe that's what killed the deal. (laughs) Yeah, uh, man, well, Jordan uh, was awful in that game based on the box score. Eleven points on four sixteen shooting. That's yeah. Well, he was playing a two and nineteen team. Should he? I know most of the documentary says he never took a night off. He knew it could be one fan's only time seeing him play. But you know, Jordan wasn't perfect. I, like he, uh, I, I listened to Zach Lowe's. Uh, podcast with Jackie McMullen and and Zach rightly pointed out that Jordan didn't hit, hit every clutch shot he ever took and and the same thing goes like he didn't have a 35 point game every time he played he had some clunkers because NBA seasons are too long and uh, he was getting up there at the end and you're just not gonna be transcendent every night as a 35 year old uh, at that, uh, in, in a 82 game, a hundred and what, 65 day schedule. Yeah. Speaking of clunkers, we got to get onto our actual podcast <laughs> and talk about some Raptors stuff. Um, guys, before we get started, uh, just a reminder, theathletic.com slash we, the six, that's the number six for 40% off a subscription to the athletic right now. You can also click on any of our articles and fire up a 90 day free trial. If you're listening to this podcast and haven't checked the athletic out yet, and are wondering what we're about. Um, the past two weeks, Eric and I have written a lot about hypothetical award scenarios under the assumption the regular season at least is lost or there won't be enough regular season tacked on at the end to meaningfully change the award scenarios. Uh, before we get into that, that's going to be the topic of today's podcast. Uh, just a call to, if you are a subscriber, keep your eyes out this week. On Thursday, we'll be dropping a Raptors fan survey. It's a pretty quick, easy 30 questions on basically the state of the franchise. We want to Feel out your confidence level uh, in certain aspects of the organization, certain players, things you like about the team, things you don't like about the team. Um, this is an idea that our friends at Birds All Day, the Toronto Blue Jays podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network, rolled out 
earlier in the year, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, our friends at the Leaf Report have also rolled it out on the Maple Leaf side, uh, and it's going to slowly roll out to most teams and most sites on The Athletic. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Keep an eye out for new podcasts from Birds All Day and The Leaf Report, because like us, they are continuing to produce podcasts through all of this and coming up with some uh, creative ideas. Hopefully the Leafs even more. signed a guy. Yeah, there you go. Transactions. I can't believe transactions are allowed right now, but... Seems wrong, but, you know, the NHL is usually a step, I don't want to say behind, a a skew, a step askew from the NBA. Yeah. All right. So normally we'd close with this award, but I want to start off with it this time. It's baby of the year, Eric. Oh, boy. No. Uh, Did I miss Uh, something? Am I? No, it's it's a so I think you should leave joke i oh. just i have tom robinson tom robinson uh tim robinson geez what is uh what's going on with me today I don't you, know. you were just thinking about tom DeLong, i'm sure and uh, probably where yeah. are you <laughs> i'm so sorry for for messing that up uh tim robinson of so i think you should leave uh was trolling fox news in michigan i week. saw that i saw that that was it was amazing i was supposed to get my halloween stuff <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway so i had that on the mind um also the i think you should league pass twitter account had uh the clip of baby of the year where they're just like, oh, this is a certified chode. We got a tuna can on our hands. And the <laughs> caption was Michael Jordan anytime he sees Jerry Krause. So, <laughs> um, that account is awesome. Anyway, we're going to talk about some real awards. Are you ready, Eric? I'm uh, as ready as I'm going to be, I guess we can okay. say. Let's start it off with the least exciting one and just confirm that, no, the Raptors will still not have a most valuable player. I don't think uh, I don't think Patrick McCaw is going to inch his way into the discussion. Uh, by the way, the all of the Athletics NBA writers voted on unofficial awards. Uh, you can go to theathletic.com slash NBA and find uh, Michael Lee did the write-up for our staff picks for the 2019-2020 season. Uh, the MVP went to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Not surprisingly. I think I he think should win. I probably voted for him. In yeah, fact, I uh, definitely had, voted for him. He had 97% of the vote. One vote went to LeBron James. Mm, how could you... Uh, who who on our staff is most likely to pick LeBron? Joe Varden? Uh, Joe Varden, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about clutch taking care of people. Whoops. <laughs> Bad joke. Bad joke. Uh, all right, let's move on to one more that the Raptors have no chance at, just to check it off. Uh, sixth man of the year. I know that the Raptors have great depth and have guys who thrive in bench roles. Both Norman Powell and Serge Ibaka don't qualify for six man of the year. They're both so to qualify you have to you can't play half your games as a starter and Norman Serge because of the injuries are both just on the wrong side of 50%. So they will not be eligible. For Norm six-man. likely would have become oh except he was injured again, but he he yeah. said on his conference call that he probably would have played. We think yeah. they both would have crossed over but who the hell knows? Uh, two, yes. two, We're six. voting on this yeah. scenario right now, where they're not eligible. Um, Norm would have a really interesting case. However, uh, he's not eligible. So yeah. that's not a... The Athletics Award went to Dennis Schroeder. Schroeder. Uh, Herbie Kuhn stuffed the, the ballot box for that one. Uh, and Montrez Harrell came one vote shy of him, so... That uh, that'll be a fun one to watch. Yeah, I can't the, believe Lou Williams there was an extra vote. there was an extra vote, but uh, Chris Boucher blocked it with both hands. There you go, boo, boo. 
Shout out right. to my uh, awards piece. Anyway. Yeah, we're gonna get there, man. Yeah, I'm just. If, I'm just if you shouting. stop interrupting me, we'll have enough time to to get to it. Well, isn't the, isn't this podcast just a series of interruptions and not a yeah. podcast? It's like it's pretty much like a WWE Raw episode. It's just <laughs> two minutes of talking, and then when we get to the point, somebody interrupts the other person. I'm not caught up. I didn't watch. Uh, it's uh, I, uh, neither am I. But that's just what happens in wrestling. Yes, uh, I love those ones that like when they set up a six man match by like two one guy comes out and then every one by one they all come out and then it's like you know what tag match player wait 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 yeah uh, so the NBA Rookie of the Year is going to John Morant he got a hundred percent of the vote at the Athletic um, this is a an interesting one just in that Zion Williamson obviously has a fun case but didn't play enough to swing. Um, you know, per minute and analytically, he had a greater impact, but he did not play nearly as much as John Morant. This is a scenario where I think everyone understands who the best, better player was, but John Morant had the better rookie season. Um, and Morant is like legitimately good, was an all-star candidate, if not an yeah. all-star. And was like probably a top three most fun player in the league. Yeah, it's not Malcolm Brogdon over Joel Embiid, which I still understand because Embiid played 31 games. Like, Ja Morant is, you know, unless something goes terribly wrong, is going to be a long-time star in this league. Yeah, um, not to use the... I, I will censor myself here. He's he's the coolest. He's He rules. I really, really enjoy him. I think people on this podcast know how fond I am of the Grizzlies um, from the brief foray as Raptors South, and then obviously they let uh, Bruno and DeLon and CJ Miles go, but they still have Jonas Valanciunas. They have Canadians and Dylan Brooks and Brendan Clark. They have John Morant, who's tons of fun. They have DeAnthony Melton, who I've always been super high on, and it's nice to see him being an actual good NBA player now. Shout out to the Grizzlies, top five league pass team. Yep, the internet's own Memphis Grizzlies. So uh, the Raptors don't have a rookie of the year candidate, but they do have an interesting rookie, all rookie case scenario Uh, I wrote on April 15th, if you scroll back in The Athletic, about Terrence Davis's case for All-Rookie, and it basically shakes down to this. By impact metrics and the analytic catch-alls that that we like to use, like player impact plus minus, or win shares, or RPM, or wrapped, or any of those things, Terrence Davis was a top five, if not top three, rookie this year. Unfortunately, he only played... 1100 minutes and he had a fairly low usage rate in those minutes because the Raptors are a really good team a top five team in the NBA and and his role was pretty narrowly defined he was excellent in that role but when you get to things like all rookie voting you see things like well he is way behind the rest of the rookies in things like points per game he's 18th rebounds per game 17th assists per game 19th Uh, if you take all the five primary box score stats together per game he ranks 20th among rookies so you the case for terrence davis requires an assumption that voters will look a little deeper than box score stats Um, if you scale it per minute he's got a pretty good case for second team but you get into this interesting question of you know do you penalize Terrence Davis basically for playing a role really well on a good team versus a guy who, you know, my the phrase I'm fond of, looter in the riot, where, you know, Kobe White could take every shot that he wanted and could use 25% of the Bulls' offensive possessions because the Bulls are bad and their second unit was all... Well, the shouldn't say the Bulls are bad. The Bulls are bad offensively and their second unit was basically, here's the ball, Kobe White. Um, 
you know, there's some of that with other guys too. Kendrick Nunn had good counting stats, um, but his entire story and the fact that everyone leaves out why he went undrafted in the first place, it really bothers me. Also, he wasn't as efficient as a Terrence Davis. Um, and then you, you know, RJ Barrett's the best example of that where he was not efficient at all in a 24% usage role, but because he carried such a large load in such a bad situation. Um, so, you know, it, this, these all rookie picks come down to a matter of perspective. If I had a vote, Terrence Davis would be on my all rookie team. I think he was a top Definitely a top 10, probably a top five rookie by performance this year. He just doesn't have the stats. Eric, do you think there's a chance he gets in or do the, do the box score stats doom him? I think there's a chance. I wouldn't bet on it. I would put him at like a 30-70 type scenario. Um, like when you when you look at the names, like Zion, Nunn, and I'd say probably probably Brandon Clark and Ja Moran. Oh, Brandon, Brandon Clark for sure. Uh, are guaranteed to have four of those 10 spots i guess pj washington and he should he's will really be, good will be on there and and probably tyler harrow just because a lot of those discussions uh even if yeah. i don't necessarily think he was better than davis in any way i think tyler harrow because of those discussions about the three out of nowhere players duncan robinson him and uh kendrick nunn um, they sort of happened hand in hand, so I would bet he makes it. I would also think Eric Pascal Siakam has a yeah, has uh, a although he was well. notably bad in some ways. But anyway, yes, but uh, he also like carried twenty one and a half percent usage on fifty seven percent true shooting and stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, no, he, he, he sh- he's yeah, he should make it. So at that point, it it sort of depends what voters are looking for historically with things like rookie. Uh, all rookie teams, it's not, you're not really, like how much stress is being put on those final two picks. Not to call voters lazy because like some are and some aren't and some do the work and some don't. And that's true of almost everything. But, you know, it's Kobe White. Everybody remembers his hair on draft day. (laughs) You know, like maybe it comes down to that. So I would- My guy Jordan McLaughlin sewered by not having hair at all. Yeah. This is is BS. Yeah. Uh, So I'd guess he doesn't make it. Like you, he would be on my team uh, pretty comfortably. Uh, But I'm skeptical, I would say. Well, that's fitting, though, because the Raptors, uh, we, we joke all the time about their rising stars snubs. They have only had one all-rookie player since 2008. That was Jonas getting a second-team nod in 2013. That is a really long time for a team that spent half that time picking in the lottery and the other half of that time being renowned for their talent identification and player development. Yeah. Uh, That's a really long time to not have a guy sneak on the all-rookie team. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of, like, Damar Ad Davis, uh, whom I'm missing somebody who was taken pretty high. Terrence, like they were all sort of disappointing rookie season yeah. guys. Um, and and then, yeah, you get into like who really popped as a rookie among the Raptors development guys. OG would be the only one um, yeah. that I can think of. Like Pascal and Fred both came on in their second years. Same with yeah. Pirtle. Norm was, Norm was pretty good as a rookie, but, but I he don't didn't, think he... he didn't, he wasn't really in a, in a big role until March, yeah. I don't think. And they needed yeah. the Carroll injury to, so it, like he... By the way, uh, yeah. if you want to look back on Norm's rookie year and the Carroll injury and the fallout in the spring of 2016, keep an eye out at theathletic.com on Wednesday for a story I have coming on... Uh, 
something from that era and that moment. Uh, Theathletic.com <laughs> slash we the six, by the way, for 40% off. Um, yeah, right, so. but like you say, it is it is strange that that has happened. Yeah. But what you look OG at the should have made it. I remember yeah. being mad about that, but I'm always mad that OG snubbed for something. Speaking of which, Eric, you wrote last week about the Raptors' three most improved player candidacies, <laughs> and you neglected that there's a fourth candidate. OG Ananobi improved a ton this year. Yeah, unbelievable. But he's not gonna get on any ballots. He's not. Uh, the Raptors won a Most Improved Player Award for the first time ever last year when Pascal Siakam won it. Early this season, there was a lot of talk that Pascal Siakam could become the first player ever to win not only two Most Improved Player Awards, but back-to-back Most Improved Player Awards. That has cooled off a little bit. Siakam has an interesting case still if you can look past the uh, change in efficiency as his role jumped. And then you also made the case for Norman Powell and Fred Van Vliet. And then I think OG Ananobi uh, has a case as well. Eric, which of the the guys you covered do you think has the strongest case? Or maybe not the strongest case, but the strongest likelihood uh, of receiving votes based on how that's historically been voted? I actually think my case would be for Powell, but I actually think Siakam or Van Vliet will have stronger cases just because they were bigger parts of what was going on. Way to cover uh, your bases with, here with by Raptors. saying all three. No, my 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 answer would be I think Siakam. I think he's the person who will get the most votes. Like you see a a seven point seven percent change in his usage percentage from last year, and that is like in terms of the candidates that I included, that's the highest along with Devonte Graham, who's one tenth of a percentage point up there. So, you know when you when you're looking at most improved, you really tend to look at box score stats. And because, because of that usage percentage, you see Siakam go from you know 26.9 points, rebounds, and assists per game to 34.7. And you know, the main candidates all had have that sort of jump into like into star or star adjacent areas. You have Luka Doncic, you have Trey Young, you have Brendan Ingram. You have Siakam, you have Jason Tatum, you have Bam Adebayo, who might be the favorite. Even even Graham, Graham goes from 8.7 points, rebounds, and assists to 29.1 points, rebounds, and assists. So, and again, so much of that is usage, right? Like we're not yeah, even talking. Yeah, but he's the- he's so good that like I'm willing to break my sophomores shouldn't be eligible for this award criteria. Like it was just such a significant jump. Yeah, you know well, how I, I feel th- about you know how I feel about that that tier of player. Yeah, no, he's and and he has a legitimate case, and I think I I even think like I I forget who I voted for in the athletics most improved. I think I might vote for Doncic, and like you, I don't like voting for sophomores. Although I think it gets more problematic where all of a sudden we're saying juniors or not juniors, third year players are allowed to win it, but second year players aren't. Like that seems yeah. a bit arbitrary to me, um, and. Dunchich's Dunchich's that's easy to say um improvement this year was so like staggering like going from pseudo all-star to legitimate MVP candidate is a pretty amazing thing to do as a what is he a 20 year old second year player like that's that's incredible um but what you see from the past most improved players uh or winners is there's really no through line like you have your cases like Siakam and 
and CJ McCollum were sort of similar in that they went from the in the year before they won, they went from sort of secondary bench piece, like not a, like a rotation player, but not featured at all to being hugely featured in the offense. So there's that guy. But then there's, you know, Jimmy Butler and Kevin Love who go from guys we knew were good to being legitimate all-stars. Giannis Antetokounmpo also falls that way. And and then there are guys who sort of resurrected their career later than we thought, like Victor Oladipo. So all those sort of, there isn't one type of player that wins, but what you do always see is a fairly significant jump in box score stats, not always a jump in efficiency, like Ryan Anderson and Paul George both won the award despite an actual dip in true shooting percentage and, and sort of minor changes in uh, PER. Uh, but you see a, a big jump in the box score stats and a big jump usually in usage or role. Uh, so that, that I think, is what makes Siakam the best candidate for the Raptors. I don't think any of them... I, I don't like it, It's a top three ballot, right? It's not a top yeah. five ballot. I think it's going to be hard for any of them to get many votes. Um, yeah. My, again, my is, case would... Always... Go ahead. I was just going to say, this is the, always the award where, like, the the sheet that the NBA releases of who, uh, like, also receiving votes is incredibly long. Yeah. Um, I would predict the, the win seems to be blowing to Bam Adebayo winning this award. Um, Pretty deserving. He's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and I have no problem with that. I would consider Doncic strongly. I would consider Devontae Graham strongly. My, my Raptors pick would be Norm Powell. I just think in terms of minute-for-minute production uh, in both, like, taking on a bigger role and improving on on what he'd done in the past. He he made the biggest jump. Uh, Like, Van Vliet, we sort of knew what he can do, and he's just doing it. Powell is presenting an efficiency level that we didn't know he could pull off. So that's sort of why I would go with Powell. Um, But I don't think either of them is going to, or any three of the, any of the three will crack many of the ballots. Uh, Bam Adebayo got a little more than half the vote at, in the athletics poll. I voted for Christian Wood, a guy who spent four years bouncing around the fringes of NBA rosters, 10 days, two ways, uh, dominating in the G League and never being able to translate that to the NBA. And he carved out a role as a legitimate 21-minute-a-game, 13-and-six guy, enough that it now looks like he's going to stick in the NBA and have a future in the NBA uh, restricted like restricted kind of, free agent? Yeah. Uh yeah. should be. Yeah. It's only his fourth NBA season. So yeah. um yeah, I, I like stories like that. I know a lot of background on Wood trying to get to this point and figure it out. Like I know that when he was with Delaware as a rookie, as a member of the 76ers, I know what the sticking points were. And I know that um uh, the year before he signed with Milwaukee on that hundred K guarantee where he made the roster, but then they ended up sending him to to New Orleans when they cut him. Um, you know, I know that, for example, the Raptors were interested in him if he were open to a two-way deal and he wasn't playing a little bit of a bet on yourself kind of role that year and everything still wasn't clicking yet. Um, so just like having watched over the course of five years, all of that talent and skill finally coalesce into, you know, a mature player who can actually produce at the NBA level. And yeah, it's putting up stats on a really bad Pistons team. So grains of salt, but, um, to me, that's kind of 
obviously there, like you said, there are a lot of ways to cut this award, but a guy taking five years to figure it all out and at 24, finally putting it together um, to become an NBA player. I like that kind of story. Um, I don't have a real vote, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, I think Bam and Duncic both have great cases too. Yeah, as I, th- does Graham. I think I picked Duncic. I am partial to guys making the leap into superstardom just because I think it's a really difficult thing it's the to hardest do. Jump, e- right? Even, even if you anticipate it happening, it's, you know, Duncic's conditioning last year was suspect and you never know if a guy's going to reach it. And, and to get like a 6.5% uh, jump in, in usage and have his per go up 8.1, his true shooting go up nearly four percentage points. He was great this year. And uh, it's, you know, yeah, I think he's going to be an MVP candidate for years to come. That's not a reason to vote for him, but just the leap that he made, it, it was really amazing to me. Yeah, uh, no no argument here. So the Raptors will get shut out of most improved player, uh, except for maybe some down ballot votes. Moving on, uh, defensive player of the year. They probably don't have uh, a case here. No. However, I mean, I think they do. But we couldn't even agree on who uh, would get our all-defensive team votes. By the way, last year, Kawhi Leonard's second-team nod was the first time ever the Raptors had an all-NBA all NBA defensive team uh, nod. It kind of... It's it's ironic that the streak finally got snapped in a year where, like, Kawhi probably didn't deserve all-defense second-team for his regular season performance. Yeah, he was, like, the third um, or fourth most deserving Raptor, I would say, last year. But that's yeah. Fine. Eric and I disagree on who the most deserving Raptor is this year. Um, in an article titled Raptors Reasonless, who deserves our theoretical all-defensive team votes that came out on April 17th that you can go back and read, we kind of batted around and debate, and it's a discussion we've had on this podcast before about how you split up credit um, for the number two defense in the league, especially when four of the five starters and six of the top seven rotation guys have all missed significant time, which not only... You know, it does two things. One, it makes the data when you get into like the on-off splits and even some of the catch-all stuff, it makes it a little less uh, not reliable. The the fidelity goes down of those numbers, and then beyond that, you know, you can't make the case that anyone is paramount to the defense's success because the defense kept rolling no matter who was in the lineup. However, I think we can narrow it first down to five Raptors, the five presumptive starters when everyone's healthy, and then from there. We both agree that Marc Gasol has the biggest impact and is the loveliest defender and the loveliest human, uh, but he missed a lot of games. Yeah. So that's tough. Uh, He missed 28 of 64 games, which means he missed just shy of half the season. Uh, So assuming we don't get any other regular season games, I think that'll be enough to sink him. That then takes us down to basically a debate between OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam at a forward spot and Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet at a guard spot. Eric and I both agreed that OG is more deserving than Pascal Siakam, but that Siakam will probably get more votes by way of inertia and just being a more prominent player overall. Uh, Siakam is, don't get us wrong, can be a, a very good defender when locked in and is paramount to the Raptors' zone defenses, to their switchy, scampering approach, uh, to a lot of their transition offense that flows from their defense. But the case that I made for OG and OB is as follows. 
not only analytically does he measure up with most of the guys on the team, um, like I said, because of the on-off stuff and all the injuries, it's tough to make a strong case with just catch-alls for any one Raptor, but Ananobi holds up fine. He also spent more time guarding the opponent's number one option than anyone on the Raptors, and he uh, was the league's second most versatile defender in terms of positional versatility uh, to only Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. So you have this player in OG Ananobi who is helping drive the success of the defense while being the most versatile defender almost in the entire NBA, while also assuming the most difficult assignment night to night for the Raptors. Um, so I think that while he has the least compelling on-off case, and part of that is because he's played the whole season um, and has worn you know all of those ins and outs of the the injury on offs and things like that um he's also played the most difficult minutes defensively and you know with the game on the line or a key possession he's the guy getting the nod to lock anyone else down so i he was the player that i felt most strongly deserves all defensive inclusion uh eric you felt a little differently though i think once we got down to lowry van vliet and ananobi um we were all we were in agreement that those three are pretty close yeah, and I think like you can make a case for any of them, and I I would agree. I think we both came down to the to thinking Van Vliet had a slightly superior defensive case than Lowry. Um, yeah, which hurt because yeah. I want to give Lowry like the legacy award of you've gotten all defensive votes forever and just don't get on these all defensive teams. Yeah, like, no, he the chart he, the chart I produced was crazy for based on data from PBPStats.com. Uh, Lowry not only has drawn 179 charges since the start of the 2013-2014 season, which is second only to Ursan Ilyasova. He's also drawn the third most non-charge offensive fouls. So when you look at total offensive fouls drawn, charges and non-charges, Lowry has drawn 367 since the start of the 2013-14 season, which is significantly more than anyone else. Yeah, he's a savant. Um, I mean, I shouldn't say that he's a savant. Like, I don't know how much studying goes into that or how much of it is just intuitive but he's great at it um and yet uh when and this is pretty much why i made my decision for who i would place my ultimate uh you know who who i think was the most important or best defender who had the best defensive season uh it's the same reason i, I just from a game to game standpoint Lowry's on-ball defense was a bit behind Van Vliet's, I think. Like, he recovered in in very good ways. He knew he knows what to do. Like, he doesn't screw up positionally, pretty much. But his foot speed, or I don't even know if it's foot speed, but he's just not quite able to stay in front of his man as well as Van Vliet. And ultimately, um, that's why I picked Van Vliet as my slight choice, slight, slight, slight choice over Ananobi. Um, I think Ananobi is, had the hardest role on the team. I think often he's their most important defender on the team. But again, on a game in game out basis, I think Anano or Van Vliet was a bit more consistent, leads the league in deflections per game. We all know how much, A, the Raptors love the deflection statistic, but B, use that to uh, convert into easy offense. And as a team that's stronger 
defensively, not that Ananobi's bad at this in any way, like he had seven steals in a game, so he's pretty good. But for a team that relies so much on creating turnovers, the havoc that Van Vliet can create in a press situation, just putting pressure on on a player, you know, just over half court, and how smartly he can deal with with screens. I think he's just slightly the most complete defender and most havoc creating defender on the team and was, you know, again, just a bit more consistent than Ananobi who wobbled likely because of how difficult his matchups were. Like I've, you know, tried to defend the best wing players in the league is the hardest, one of the hardest things to do in the NBA and Ananobi's becoming really, really good at it. So I, I don't yeah, want to take dust off an old, to Go dust ahead. off an old Caseyism. hard things are hard. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to like, take it away from him. I just think there's maybe another level for him to get to there in terms of night out, uh, night and night out consistency. And I think Van Vliet, like it's always giving it to you in that end and always makes a huge difference that, that you can see uh, on a nightly basis. All right. Um, I think that I would be surprised if no Raptors are on the all defensive team uh, because they are the league's number two defense and we're such a good story this year. Uh, but I don't know. I think Siakam probably has the I was, best chance of getting I was going to say, like my hot, but... my hot take is that Siakam will be the guy, and maybe it's not hot if we're both predicting it. Yeah, I just think that he has way more buzz, and like he also got all defensive votes last year, and I didn't think he was. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't, I, I thought he had a better case last year than this year, but um, anyway, I'm going to predict. I'm going to predict that no Raptor makes it. By the way, that would piss me off. Yeah, of well, life. I've cursed a couple times on this podcast today. I'm fired up. Um, put OG and OB on all defensive team. You cowards! You cowards! Yeah, all one hundred of you, listen up. I'll throw <laughs> each one of you over the top rope of content. I don't know what where I was going with that. All right, moving on. Uh, counter counter to the Raptors' streak of no all defense up until last year, no most improved player up until last year, no all rookies since 2008, except for Jonas Valanciunas, uh, pretty much every year lately, the Raptors have had someone make an All-NBA team. Four years in a row. In 2016, Kyle Lowry made third-team All-NBA. In 2017, DeMar DeRozan made third-team All-NBA. In 2018, DeMar DeRozan made second-team All-NBA in a spot that probably should be Kyle Lowry's. Uh, And in 2019, Kawhi Leonard made second-team All-NBA. Looking at the fields this year, I would think that the Raptors streak will continue with a fifth consecutive year. Uh, the tough part is, like we talked about with a couple of the earlier awards, the Raptors are competing kind of at the bottom of the award field. And what I mean by that is that I think Siakam and Lowry both have compelling third team cases, uh, but it would be difficult to make a case for them higher than that. Lowry, you could make a second team case for Siakam. It's... It's a little tougher, um, but either way, they would be among the last three forwards and the last three guards, which then opens you up to an enormous field. The forward field probably has eight or nine guys, depending on who you put at what position, deserving, quote unquote, of all NBA inclusion. And then the guard list, you know, you could go 12 or 14 deep making a case for guys. Uh, I wrote about this this week at The Athletic uh, in an article titled Awards Watch, All-NBA Teams, Pascal Siakam's Contract Escalator and Kyle Lowry. Uh, Siakam's contract escalator, as a reminder, if he hits all second team, uh, it jumps from 25% of the cap to 28% of the cap. If he makes first team, it's 29% of the cap. If he wins MVP, it's 30% of the cap. 
I predict that the Raptors are going to get the best case scenario here, which is that Siakam makes all NBA, but it's only third team. So it doesn't kick his contract up. Uh, I also feel, I feel more strongly that Lowry deserves third team among the guards than I do that Siakam deserves third team among the forwards. Eric, did you read my piece and do you feel similarly? Um, yes. And yes, but I, if I had to guess, I'd say only Siakam makes it. Um, I I feel more strongly that Lowry deserves it, but um, like with the bottom, with after the top three forwards, you can throw all four of those guys into a blender for me specifically. Mm-hmm. But there's only four of them. <laughs> like yeah. you know, maybe so, so- maybe a few other candidates will be found, but like there's just so many different types of cases in guard, and yeah. I, I'm not sure which way that's going to go. Forwards, by the way, you have Giannis, LeBron, and Kawhi who are making it no matter what. I think more people will list Anthony Davis at a center, so that takes him out of the forward conversation. You could also have Jimmy Butler listed as a guard, which makes forward a little easier, but makes guard even tougher. Um, So my hypothetical went Giannis, LeBron, Kawhi, Chris Middleton, Jason Tatum, Pascal Siakam. Jimmy Butler is then the snub or competing for a guard spot. Anthony Davis is at center. Paul George is maybe the next man out, but I don't think he has as compelling a case as the others. Uh, Very interesting to dive into the stats, and Tatum and Siakam are almost identical in per-game stats, usage, true shooting percentage. And then Siakam has an edge in real plus-minus, but Tatum has an edge in most of the other catch-alls. I think Siakam has a pretty good shot there. I think... I think he could get in. It might yeah. come down to where people list Jimmy Butler and Anthony Davis. Yeah. And then, like you said, guard is way, way tougher where you're talking Harden, Dunchich. Harden and Dunchich are in as first teamers. I think Chris Paul and Damian Lillard are in. I just think the enor- like Chris Paul lifting Oklahoma City and then Damian Lillard's stat profile are just too large. And then you're looking at Kyle Lowry. Ben Simmons, who maybe had an unsexy year, but is a defensive player of the year candidate. Kemba Walker, who played for a very good Celtics team. Trey Young, who was so good offensively that some of the advanced, you know, catch-all metrics turned favorable for him, even though he's the worst defender in the league. Uh, And then you have like the stat-heavy cases like Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook. And then you could even go further and get like Donovan Mitchell, Drew Holiday. I don't feel it. Marcus Smart. I don't feel as excited about those guys but like you can keep going with this and make like you said make different types of cases yeah uh, and i also think like even though they're they're certainly at different positions there will be some vote splitting by people who just feel like the raptors need one guy on there and they'll differ on who it is and who knows how that works out now of course if that case exists for the raptors it exists for a number of other teams um so it's possible that both get don't get on. It's possible that both do get on. I think the most likely scenario is Siakam makes it and Lowry doesn't. But it's going to be close because I, I still think there is, like as we saw with, uh, and th- this was coaches voting. Coaches were doing the voting for All-Stars, but, you know, they took Kyle Lowry over uh, Brad Beal and uh, who am I missing? Uh it seems it seemed at the time like he made it over more sort of losing case great stats losing player cases um so if media goes that way and we certainly know that some media are inclined to although maybe less so than with the coaches then Lowry is a great chance i think he's been you know we we didn't talk about this as this 
uh, in this round of articles. I think he's the most valuable Raptor this year. Um, so I would, I, I would prefer that he make it over Siakam just for that reason. But that's not how this award is cobbled together. And now we move on to somehow the most decorated award in Raptors history, uh, Coach of the Year. Sam Mitchell won it in 2007. Dwayne Casey won it in 2018. Uh, the Raptors have also had two Rookies of the Year. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the Coach of the Year being the one that they've won the most often and will win for a third time this year if the Athletics Award poll is any indication. Nick Nurse received 81% of the vote from the athletic writers. This is normally an award that splits people. Um, you know, there's usually five or six candidates depending on, you know, do you want to vote for the sustained success at the organizational level or the team that overshot expectations by the most, or the guy who did the best in a difficult situation. Nick nurse kind of starts checking a lot of those boxes and you made the case for him before these awards came out. Uh, once the voting was already done, obviously, because you don't want to, you were not trying to whip the vote. Uh, but yeah, 81% of the vote for Nick Nurse. I think he's going to win it. I think he deserves it. I think that, um, you know, last year during the regular season, he was kind of doing what he had to around the Kawhi Leonard stuff and around trying to work out that new offense. And then you saw in the playoffs what Nick Nurse putting his stamp on things really looked like. And I think freed from the Kawhi Leonard thing this year and with an entire summer to work with guys, you really got the the full kind of Nick Nurse picture over the first 64 games this year, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. The fact that the Raptors were as good as they were through key injuries to at least one starter basically at all times, six of the top seven rotation guys missing significant time. Uh, the Raptors basically not losing a beat at any point. Nick Nurse, your coach of the year. I'm pretty confident about that, both in terms of how the vote will go and that it's the just decision. I have two cases, two points just to add to that. Uh, the first is like you saw how much trouble we were having getting a Raptor into a certain spot, whether it was the all defense team or the all NBA teams. And I think a lot of that traces back to this. There's like such faith that nurses like pulling the right strings that like he gets some of the credit where some of our stats or some of our analysis our ways of analyzing the game aren't quite caught up to the individual level of, uh, of like how a player impacts a game. So uh, I think a lot of he's getting a lot of the credit for how good the players are in the roles he puts them in, which, which isn't, you know, that's great. One of the most important things is putting the players in the right roles. And he's, he's done that. The second thing uh, but I think it sort of explains why it's a bit difficult to pick Fred Van Vliet or OG Ananobi or whether Siakam or Lowry had the more valuable year, on and on. Uh, it's because, you know, there's a bit of, well, Nick Nurse is a mastermind genius and, you know, how good is this player really? Which is stupid, but also I, I think connects a little bit. Um, the second thing, Nick Nurse, and I don't mean this pejoratively, but he's like a flashy coach. Um, you know, he, he has all these different schemes and, and they were certain, especially in the stretch where Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka were out early in the season. You saw that clip, that great clip where Stan Van Gundy broke down all of his defensive schemes. Like you don't see that with many coaches or, or it doesn't make its way into the public discourse, uh, with many coaches. Like a few years back, there was a lot of talk about how great Brad Stevens was with ATOs, but 
we don't spend much time talking about how good coaches are other than how they keep people happy, if that makes sense, and how they manage and how they manage, you know, egos and a locker room. And we heard so much about that f- about Nurse this year. He like dominated the conversation from that perspective in a different way. So while you're looking at like Taylor Jenkins for Memphis and Billy Donovan for Oklahoma City, both of like which teams, you know, were picked to miss the playoffs and were scheduled to make the playoffs sort of had like the bigger, you know, surprise seasons, a bigger surprise. And like people didn't think the Raptors would be this good, but they thought they would be good. Those two teams that people thought they'd be bad and they ended up being, you know, either average or very good in Oklahoma City's case. So that's usually how this award is decided on, like which team overachieved the most. But because, you know, we've spoken so much about Nurse's X's and O's capability, his intelligence on the defensive side of the ball. And remember, we were, you know, when he was hired, this was the question. He was seen as an offensive genius and not a uh, a defensive mastermind. And he's really sort of presented as the opposite in, in, in this case. I think he's going to win. I think he deserves it. But I'm just trying to explain why I think he's such a shoo-in. Yeah, um, then let's just wrap it up with uh, the one thing that'll be hilarious to look back on. Uh, Our executive of the year vote at the Athletic went to Sam Presti in the Oklahoma City Thunder. If you look back, that would mean that the last few winners are Sam Presti, John Horst, Daryl Morey, Bob Myers, R.C. Buford, Bob Myers, R.C. Buford. Um, Seven years of Masai Ujiri in Toronto establishing the organization as like one of the class of the league and there will be no executive of the year award for Masai Ujiri because it's all been, you know, slow and tweak and methodical and no one year overhaul. Uh, that'll be, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Ujiri is uh, more than happy to take the championship as the kind of executive of the half decade award. Um, but yeah, it'll look, I think it'll look funny looking back on it in a little while that the Raptors had this great a run and kind of established themselves and- at this level within the league hierarchy and didn't get the exec nod similar to how Raptors 905 have never won executive of the year, even though they're consistently one of the best in hindsight, like did load management cost Masai Ujiri his best chance at executive of the year with the Raptors. Like, I think it's just like voting the voting taking place before the playoffs. I I know, but let's say, and they went, what did they go? 21 and five or 17 and five in the games that, yeah. Leonard didn't play. So it's unlikely if Leonard played all those games that they would have done much better. But maybe the narrative around the Raptors and the trade would have been stronger heading into the playoffs. Like that even if the Raptors maybe. still won 58 or 60 games, maybe they say, oh, this guy made the biggest move of the offseason, which he did. Um, we deserve, we should be praising him because oftentimes that's how ex- executive of the year is picked. And, you know, John Horace obviously had a put together a great team and he is still put together a great team. And, um, but yes, you're, you're exactly right because so much of this happened slowly and over the course of years and goes into the yeah. scouting and development instead of like acquisitions and trades and all that stuff. Uh, you, Jerry won't ever get the i mean let's not not say never he's not going to get it this year uh and it's hard for him to get in that uh position but he's very well compensated so and and will continue to be if he chooses to be 
All right, um, Eric, we also have uh, no time to talk about it this. Maybe we'll talk about them next week. But also to wrap up our award kind of two-week series, you dropped your annual Raptors regular season awards that are not things like most improved and sixth man of the year. They are things like Chris Boucher volleyball blocking Matras Harrell uh, back in November and things like that. Uh, So go to theathletic.com slash Raptors and check that stuff out. If you're not a subscriber yet, theathletic.com slash we the six for 40% off, or you can click on any of our articles and get a 90 day free trial right now. Um, Please continue to listen to this podcast also and check out our other ones. Um, Everyone like the guys at the, the leaf report and birds all day, um, continue to produce these podcasts during our hiatus and we'll continue to do so, you know, until we have some clarity on what's going on, which won't be a while still based on uh, Adam Silver's board post board of governors meeting conference call last Friday, which was basically just saying that we're all still in wait and see mood probably until early May at the earliest. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for doing this, man. Thank you for your hypothetical award votes. Uh, I hate you for, disagreeing on OG Ananobi's all defense case and snubbing him from most improved but you know like uh like everyone else with the Raptors over the last few years OG will probably take that as fuel and you know prove them UTG better on yourself all that stuff yeah make them believe to, to add the Terrence Davis one grind now shine later boy OG needs one of these this is this is his problem this is why I I didn't vote for him you got it got a brand better his, his grind has not been sufficiently motivated no All right, man. Thanks so much. Uh, We'll talk to you next week. Stay safe, everybody. See ya.